You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name is Benjamin, and it's my pleasure to bring you God's Word today. Uh, You can pick up a Bible. There's one in the seat in front of you if you don't have one. And if you don't own one, take that one in the seat in front of you as our gift to you. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's page 247 in that church Bible. As well, in uh, the bulletins, you'll see the main points uh, with fill-in-the-blanks. I encourage you to uh, pick up a pencil and write, write down the, the fill-in-the-blanks because it's going to help you retain it. And if you retain it, you're more likely to apply it. And if you're more likely to apply it, you're more likely to see God work in your life. That's the way it works. And so I encourage you to do that. I'm going to take a minute while you turn there and pray. Lord, I thank you for the men and the women who you've brought out here today. You didn't bring them by accident. They're here on purpose. And so, Lord, today we're going to see much that we can apply to our own lives uh, from one of the greatest uh, fights that David will be in. And we're all in fights in some way or shape, some way, shape, or form in our own lives, Lord. We've all got giants that that are haunting us and harassing us. And Lord, you want them to be slain. Would you help us today? Would you help me, a simple man, to uh, talk to these brothers and sisters about your truth? In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, the title of today's sermon is Faith That Kills Giants. The Faith That Kills Giants. This is in our sermon series on the life of David. And when I say giants, I'm talking about not just physical giants, uh, men. Uh, I'm talking about any giant. See, a giant is something that stops you in your process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Something that stops you in your pursuit of knowing him more. Something that gets you stuck in life. Anyone ever get stuck in life? Something that pushes you back in your life where it starts to take over your life. Something that is denying you the purposes to which God designs you to live out in your life. That's what we're talking about when we say giants. And we've all got giants. So if anyone in here thinks that they don't have any giants in their life that are uh, harassing them or causing disruption in their life, they're delusional because we all do. I've got multiple that I'm fighting at any given time. Your giant may come from personal sin, or what the Bible would call habitual or abiding sin, meaning it's a sin that you just can't seem to get rid of. It's not something you just do and then uh, move on. It's something that comes back, and you just can't seem to conquer it. Your giant may be an addiction. So many addictions, from alcohol to narcotics to gambling to technology to pornography, you name it, people can be addicted to it. Your giant may be uh, other people's opinions. You may be just frozen in your life because you're so worried about what a specific or a group of people are going to say about you and your actions in life. Your giant may be your past. It may be something that happened in the past that's haunting you in the present. Uh, Your giant may be fear and anxiety, and, and that is one of the predominant giants of our day. And that happened to be what these men that we're going to see in the story were dealing with 
then. You know, this is a battle that's probably one of the best-known battles in history, right? Even people who don't know the Bible have heard of David and Goliath. It's well-known. It wasn't between two armies. It was between two men, one a giant, an experienced warrior, and one a young man, a man of faith. And we're going to look at some traits of giants so we can identify these giants in our lives, and we're going to look at tactics to overcome these giants. Now, the picture here, what's happening is it's a little while later, maybe a year or so later after David has become uh, Saul's personal musician. And the Philistines, who were like the arch nemesis of the Israelites, uh, they had been harassing them since their existence, um, have come up from the south to invade. And they're going to cause some havoc. And, and countries would invade because it was quick money uh, and because it was a way that they could subdue the people, take what they had and keep them weak so that they wouldn't invade. And so they've come up to invade and they're in the, the uh, Valley of Elah which is about a mile to two mile long canyon uh, with a wadi that runs in between it. And on each side are long sloping hills. And they've camped out on one side of the hill, on one side of the canyon. And the Israelites are on the other side of the canyon. And they instigate an age-old challenge or custom. It's the challenge of the champions. Instead of two uh, armies fighting it out and people getting wounded and killed, which then they can't plant the crops and bring the crops in and the economy uh, is seriously affected by it, they just say, bring your best warrior and whoever wins will be the winner of that and the others will become their servants. Now, the winner that, or the challenger of the Philistines, he stands at nine feet, nine inches. He is a monster. He's got all the best equipment. He's got a full set of bronze armor, a coat of mail, they would call it. He's got his own shield bearer, a guy who walks in front of him with a full-size shield to stop arrows that might be shot at their champion. This guy is what we would call decked out. And, and standing in front of him would have been an overwhelming experience. It would have been frightening. That's trait number one of the giants we face in our life. They are overwhelming. Imagine you're an Israelite. And so I'm 5'9". The average Canadian apparently is 5'8". But imagine me, 5'9". I'm standing there and there's this guy, 9'9". He is just jacked on roids and, and he's got all the best armor. And I've got like maybe a spear, maybe a gardening tool because they didn't have, they weren't a standing army. They didn't have swords like we do. And so I'm standing there and maybe my uh, loincloth or whatever I'm wearing. And, and here's this monster. Imagine how overwhelming that situation would have been. And you know, the giants of our lives are often so overwhelming. We look at them, we look at the, the width and breadth of the things that we're struggling with, and we're just like, ah, there's no way I can even take this on. When I uh, started uh, as a single parent at 26, uh, my finances were atrocious, uh, like a lot of Canadians. I was living paycheck to paycheck, because I bought into the lie. Spend everything you have, and just wait for the next bit of money to come in. Instead of applying what I didn't know were God's principles to money. And I remember looking at my finances at 26 and I'm just like, oh man, I've got car debt, I've got credit card debt, I've got consolidation loans. How am I gonna ever get this under wraps? Sometimes that's the way our giants can look. Absolutely overwhelming. Verse eight, he stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. 
Why do you come out and line up for, in your battle formation? He asked them. I'm not a, am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come out against me. If he wins the fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so that we can fight each other. Second trait of the giants that we face in our lives is they want to enslave you. They will try to enslave you. You got to understand that the giants that we're facing are from Satan. They're from the world. And they're not just happy with 50% of your life. They want all of your life. They want to enslave you. They're never happy with just a little. If you give them a little and just, you know, just appease him, they will come for more. And the thing about giants is that if we don't take care of them, not only will they enslave us, they'll enslave our families and our children. It's called generational sin. And studies have shown scientists uh, clearly can uh, show this amongst most addictions that those who struggle with uh, substance abuse or alcoholism or gambling or, or pornography, those who cope with life in those ways, their children are much more likely to deal with life with the same sort of addictions. We pass it on, those giants that we don't face so often in our life. And so the best qualified person to deal with this giant was Saul. He was the probably the best trained. He would have had the best armor. He was the tallest man that we know uh, that in, when he was elected king. But he's got a problem. He's full of fear, full of anxiety. Verse 11, when Saul and all the Israelites heard the words of the Philistine, they lost their courage and they were terrified. Trait number three of giants is they fill you with fear. They will fill you with fear. I can remember grade, I don't know, three or four, I, um, and there was this bully. And, and I was a scrawny redhead. Uh, remember, I, I didn't start to grow until like almost high school. And so I was a target. And I can remember being so full of fear in class. I would just sit and, and not be really listening to the teacher, but I was thinking, okay, how am I going to stay away from this guy? And, and where can I go in recess where he's not going to find me? And, and what am I going to do if he gets me in the halls? I was just full of fear all the time thinking about this guy who wanted to smash me. And he did multiple times. And, and you know, that's often the way we are with our giants. We think about them. The very thought about them of them fills us with fear and anxiety. And you know, the nation, as we talked about a few weeks ago, the nation had turned away from God. And when a person or a nation turns away from God, they're filled with something else. Jesus tells us that. And what's often they're filled with is fear and anxiety, right? Because uh, if a culture doesn't have hope that there's a supernatural God who wants to be in their life and, and walk with them through life and give them hope for eternity, what do they have left? Fear and anxiety. And so Saul is full of fear. We know his people are full of fear because it's contagious. Fear breeds more fear. And I know that many of us in this room have real fear, have real anxiety. These are real feelings, not discounting them as not real. And yet, we're not allowed to let them stay. Verse 20, David got up early in the morning and left his flock with someone to keep it, loaded it up and set out as Jesse had charged him. So 
So the battle is going on, but it's not really a battle. It's 40 days of Goliath coming out and challenging the people. And so Jesse, whose three oldest sons are uh, David's three oldest brothers, are at the battle line, but not fighting. Jesse says to his youngest son, don't know why he didn't send the other four, uh, but he says to David again, who's looking after the sheep, take some food and go and give it to your brothers because they didn't have the supplies to, uh, the nation didn't have the supplies. It was family that would feed them. And so David uh, gets, he has three jobs already. He's a shepherd, he's a musician, he's an armor rare, but his dad decides he's going to become an Uber Eats pizza delivery guy as well. And so uh, it's 13 kilometers from Bethlehem to the valley. So that's 21 clicks in our uh, time. And so he sets out after looking after the sheep. He gets up, loads up his donkey, sets off and, and treks 21 kilometers. I'm sure that's no sweat for us. We can do that easily after a day of work. And it says in verse 20, he arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up from the battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. Don't miss that. He ran to the battle line. This is a man with after God's own heart, a man who is very interested in the things of God. He is a man who so desires to see God at work in his people that he runs. And Israelites didn't run. It wasn't customary. It's still not customary for Middle Eastern people to run unless there is a good enough reason, i.e. an emergency. And so the Israelites, they were passionate about saving their own hides because they were full of fear and they weren't interested in the things of God. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were really passionate about the things of God? So much so that, that even though there's danger, even though there's hardship, uh, you were just so excited to get involved in the things that God says was important. You know, we can often see what's important in our lives, right? It's the things we really will invest time into. This wasn't an easy thing that Paul, that uh, David was going to enter into. He could have just sat back and casually waited. He could have just walked up casually. But no, he runs to get involved in the things of the Lord. And sometimes we want to be like the Israelites, if we're honest. We only want to be involved in the things of the Lord that are important to God when I say that. These are the things that he says are important if it fits our schedule and if it fits our interests, but not David. He's ready to get involved. Uh, he's ready to get into the fight. And so when he arrived, it says he asked his brothers how they were. And while they were speaking to them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words. Don't miss that, his usual words. This is like day 41 of him spouting off his challenges, saying, you're a bunch of useless scumbags. Your God doesn't exist. You're all cowards. Come on, get out here, spewing out the same stuff. And you know what our trait number four of our giants is the longer we allow them to stay, the bigger they get, right? The longer we listen to the lies of the enemy, those giants, the bigger they get in our eyes. The more we allow it to stay, the more ingrained it gets in our lives. Goliath, he wasn't always a giant. You know, at one time he was a baby, probably a big baby. So kudos to the woman who birthed him. Probably a lot like this baby here, who's the second largest baby ever born. 19 pounds, 2 ounces. His name is Akbar, 24.4 inches. That doesn't sound, does that sound fun, ladies, to give birth to? <clears throat> 
Right. But, but Goliath didn't stay a baby. He grew into a boy who grew into a youth who grew into a man who became a giant. And there are giants in our lives. They don't start out as giants. They usually start out as little things. Little things that we give a little bit of attention to. Little things that we allow to stay in our life, even though we're not supposed to. But they grow and they fester until eventually they get so big that we have become so accustomed to their lies that we don't even know how to face them. And that's what they've done. 41 days of hearing the same stuff over and over again. And they just believe the lies that he's telling them. Then David hears it says. So David's there on the battle line, verse 24. David also heard when all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him and were terrified. So imagine, it's the battle line. David's not a soldier. He's not, he's not uh, in the army. He's not really old enough to be there. <coughs> But he's there, he's asking how they're doing, and, and they see Goliath, and they all retreat back. They're like, whoa, no way, no way, we're not getting involved. But David's standing there, and he's like, what's going on, guys? Aren't we the armies of the living God? Didn't God make us a bunch of promises that if we go out to battle, if, if we're obedient to him, that he will fight our battles for us? What's going on, guys? It's trait number five of the giants. Eventually, they start to take ground in our lives. You let them hang around, enough and they will take over your life they will take ground that used to be ground for the lord that used to be ground for your family they will take over you got to understand the principle of a battle line a battle line means a group of soldiers who have trained uh get in a line a line up in a certain formation and they are not to allow themselves to move if anything they're to move forward but they're definitely not to move backwards and yet they're so terrified by this giant, they give him ground. You know, I can think of a, a giant in many people's lives. It's a giant of technology. Think of how much time technology, technology can be good, but think of all the time we watch watching videos and, and scan, scrolling through other people's lives. I, I know people that, that they want to live a healthy life, but they're up all night watching videos and technology that, that has no benefit to their lives, and so they're too tired in the morning to give time to their work and their families. I know people that, that, that are so uh, distracted at work, they aren't able to get their work done because they're always on their technology. Technology is a huge giant in people's lives, and it is taking over people's lives, and it's taking and drawing away from what God has already said is good and what you should be investing in. Verse 25, previously an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. That's a word you see five times throughout this chapter. Defy, defy, defy. And meaning he's going against them and God. Later, David will say, you're, you're defying the Lord he's got some power that he shouldn't have. He shouldn't be able to defy the promises of God, to defy this army. They had been promised by God, but they don't believe it. So because they don't believe it, they're not experiencing it. And that's what the giants will do. They will defy in your mind the promise to, to which God has made. Have you ever heard those lies in your life? You think about that thing and it's like, you hear that voice, you're never going to defeat this. You're never going to get over this. This is too big for God. And we make for ourselves special clauses. I know God said that. I know he's done it in that person's life. But my circumstances, it's too big for God. 
So we say, I can't, or I won't. And we, we know in our minds God isn't a liar, but somehow we just can't connect that his promises are true in our situation. They were allowing Goliath to defy the promises of God, and our giants often do the same in our lives. So I, I need to ask you, I need to pause there. Can you recognize your giant? Think about it. You've probably got multiple of them. Can you think in your life what it is that overwhelms you, that enslaves you, uh, that the thought of confronting fills you with fear? It's taking ground in your life. It's defying the promises of God. Can you picture it in your life? For some of you, your heart is beating a little faster as you think about it. Maybe for some of you, you can feel the penetrating uh, um, eyes of your spouse as they stare into your head because they know what it is. For some of you, you may be going a little red right now because you know in your mind the thing that enslaves you. What is it? What is it in your life? We've all got them. We just have to admit we've got them. We just have to be willing to face them down. And David's got some good news for us. He's going to give us six tactics to slaying our giants. Look at verse 28. David's oldest brother... Eliab, first let's look at him, listened as David spoke to the men and became very angry with them. He says, why'd you come down here? Who did you leave your few sheep with in the wilderness? I know the arrogance of your evil heart. You came down here for battle. So the scene is David is, David's ticked off because 40 days of this nonsense is going on. And so he starts to say, hey guys, let's take him on. Like who's going to kill this giant? And, and the oldest brother hears and he's got some problems with it. He's got some issues, the older brother. He's got some giants he's not dealing with in his life. One of them is jealousy. You notice that he's jealous. He's the oldest uh, brother. He was there when David got anointed. He sees in his mind that he should be the one. He's the oldest son. He's had 40 days to fight Goliath, but he hasn't done squat about it. And you're going to find in your life That sometimes if you take a stand against the giants in your life, if you start living out what we say we believe, people will make fun of you. People will pull you down. People will give you little comments because they're not dealing with their stuff. And so sometimes us humans, we got to be careful. We're not doing this. We can lash out at others when we see them moving forward. He's full of fear. Because he hasn't done anything, so he attacks his brother. First, he insults his character, or he insults him. Where's your measly sheep? Meaning, you're only good enough to look after a few stinking sheep. Where'd you leave them? Then he attacks his motives. Uh, You're just here because you want to see bloodshed. You want to see the real dogs suffering and bleeding. But notice David doesn't react. If you read on, he just says, it's just a question. Right, And sometimes we can want to lash out. If one of our giants is anger, we can want to lash out. But sometimes we just need to be wise and know that words aren't going to do anything. Sometimes we just have to let God deal with that person, pray for them, and move along. So Saul hears, and they take David to Saul. And verse 33, Saul replied, you can't go out and fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came out and carried off the lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck it down and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. 
And if it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. First tactic for taking on our giants is, and this is the most important one, you've got to believe that God is enough. You've got to believe that God is enough. If you don't believe God is big enough to deal with your giant, forget about it. Nothing is going to change because he really is the only one that can deal with our giants. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And God is not intimidated by men and God is not intimidated by situations. And therefore, David was not intimidated by this man and he was not intimidated by this situation. He's going to have some real struggles later in David's life. We're going to see that in David's life. But in this one, he's not afraid. He knew that as long as he was walking in the purposes of God, that God would fulfill his promises. And we have to understand that as long as we are carrying out and walking out the life that God has laid out for us, if we're living through faith, if we're living for his purposes, God will fulfill those purposes in our lives. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 35. This has given me a lot of comfort when I've gone through hard times. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Those are some pretty big promises. Nothing will separate you from God. Nothing will separate you from his love. No situation will overtake you. Even if you're, look at this, this is serious. Even if you're walking around naked in the middle of a famine because you have no clothes and there are people hunting and persecuting you, God is still with you. I think if I was walking around that state, I might be pretty down. But yet, nothing will separate me. Not demons, not men, not circumstances, nothing. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be addicted to so many things. I used to have bad anger problems. I used to be chased by my demons. But I took God at his word. And and trust me, I still have giants that I'm fighting against. But because I took God at his word, I've been seeing victory throughout the years. And some of you have experienced that too. Great victories. But you can't believe that there is anything too big for God to take on. He is enough. Verse 38. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. David said, I can't walk in these. David said to Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off. And instead, he took, off, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his pouch in his shepherd's bag. And then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Tactic number two, look for God's solution first before you turn to the world's solution. Look for God's solution first. In the 18th century, there was a, a great fever 
It was called the purpural fever, otherwise known as the black death of childbed. What was happening uh, throughout Europe and eventually in America was mothers were dying. They were giving birth to their children in hospitals and they were dying from childbirth uh, within 48 hours. And nobody could figure out why. And this was during the Renaissance, or what we call the Enlightenment, when, when people turned away or, or culture said, we don't need God or the traditions of the past or the Bible. We have science and the intellectual mind. And so we shall figure out the problem. And so the doctors gave themselves to trying to figure out this problem. So they would examine the, the, dead, the bodies of the dead mothers in the morning and then they would go and deliver babies in the evening and they would get up and deliver more babies and then they would examine more of the dead bodies trying to figure out what was going on. Then a man named Oliver Wendell Holmes said, you know what guys, I think it's because we're, we're doing autopsies on these women and then we're delivering the babies and we're transferring what we know as of germs. And they laughed at him. They said, that's baloney. That's nonsense. For 30 years, they wouldn't listen to him. Until finally, they came to the understanding that, yes, in fact, they were. And then everyone had to wash their hands and sterilize their instruments. But you know what? The Bible talked about hygiene way before scientists were. In the Old Testament, whenever you would touch a dead body, it was in the laws, or touch a bleeding or a festering wound, you had to cleanse yourself and withdraw yourself so that God was knowing that you're passing on germs and infections. And, and you know what? Sometimes we look for the solutions in the world before we look for the solutions with God. But God's got all the solutions, and God works through doctors, and God works through scientists. But oh man, aren't we a, a nation and, and a people who are so dependent on what the world's solutions are? Even as Christians, we want to look, what's, what are the scientists telling me? What are the politicians telling me? What are the doctors telling me? Before we go to God and say, God, do you have a solution for this problem that I'm facing? Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defiled him. Today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, remove your head, give it to the corpses of the Philistine camp, to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, that his whole assembly will know, this whole assembly will know that is not by sword or by the spirit that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Tactic number three, you have to change your perspective. Change your perspective on life and battles. See, David understood the simple principle. The battle was the Lord's to win. David had a part to play. His part to play was to be obedient to go out to take his sling and his, and his stick and to go out and face Goliath. But it wasn't his victory to have. And sometimes we so much try in our efforts to fix the problems of our lives, thinking that if we just try harder, it'll fix it. We do have to try. We do have to make changes. We do have to repent. But it's God who will give us the victory in the end. And that's the faith element that we often forget but so 
important. And one of the things I love about David is he was dangerous. He was a dangerous man, not because he was good with, the, with weapons. He was dangerous because he so had such great faith in the Lord. And I just love to come across dangerous Christians, men and women who will take God at his word, who actually believe God wants to fulfill the promises that he's made in Scripture through their lives. I love being around dangerous men and women. And you should want to be one because dangerous men and women is who God uses to bring down the giants. Verse 48, when the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took a stone out, slung it, and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Tactic number four, you have to attack the giants in your life. You have to attack them. Notice, David didn't stand still. He didn't go backwards. He didn't walk casually forward. He ran at Goliath. means he wasn't messing around. He was ready to get into it. And to be honest, with some of the giants that we face in our lives, we can't mess around. We can't monkey around. We have to go at them hard. With all the promises, with all the principles that God has given us in his word, with the faith that he is with us, and with the determination to see it conquered, we need to attack those giants. When we were overseas, we had principles for fighting the enemy. We knew that the Taliban were very crafty, and their job was to, to uh, cause lots of distractions uh, so that we would get fixated on one thing, and they would overwhelm us uh, and take us down. So they would use lots of terror tactics. But our answer for that was three principles. Overwhelming firepower, overwhelming pressure, and extreme aggression or violence, as we would say. In that way, we could overcome the enemy who wanted to take us down. And it's the same principles for overcoming our giants, just not with weapons. We need to be hitting them with everything and all the promises that God has given us. We need to be putting pressure on those giants in our lives, not giving them room to grow and to uh, run amok in our lives. And we need to be aggressive with them, as David was. We need to remember Isaiah 54, verse 17, that no weapon formed against us will succeed. For this is the heritage of the Lord's servants. We have a heritage of being victors, victors for good. You know, it's it's common thing when I, I come across people is, is often we, we don't like the consequences of our giants in our life, but when we realize what it's going to take, the change it's going to take, we say, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking good for now. And, and we, we go away and we have this, you know, half-hearted attempt and things are all right for a little while, but then a month, six months down the road, a year, we're back in the same place that we were. The Bible uses this word called repentance. Repentance is really simple. It means to identify that you have a problem, that you're living in a way that God doesn't desire, and to turn from it. To admit it, to turn from the way you're living your life or that action and turn and start to live out the way God has told you to live out. That's repentance in its simple way. To stop doing what you're doing and start doing what God has asked you to do. And when we do that, God draws close to us and helps us through 
our challenges. And by doing that, we're attacking our sin. We're going into it. We're, we're not going along with it anymore. Verse 50, David defeated the Philistine with the sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him and grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath and used it to kill him and then cut off his head. Tactic number five, give it a killing blow. Give it a killing blow. Now, whether uh, this Philistine was dead when he hit the ground by the stone or it took this to kill him, the text doesn't make it necessarily clear whether it was one or the other. It could have been either. But the principle here is David didn't just let it go. You ever watch those action movies when the, the hero will be fighting the villain, right? And they'll be in this big epic battle and the villain will be down and he's down and you think he's finished, right? And the good guy turns her back and up rises the bad guy, right? Well, David had apparently seen this movie. <clears throat> and so he's like, not happening. And he goes over and uses glass on sheath and he's like, whammo, you're done. And sometimes we can give our, in our half-hearted attempt, we can give room for our giants to heal up and come back. And they can come back with a vengeance. And they can be twice as powerful as they were when we faced them last. No, we have to defeat these giants, these addictions, these sins, these things that haunt us and kill them 100% so they don't come back. And you know what? Look, look what happened next. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled, verse 51, now 52. And the men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry and chased the Philistines. You know what? Fear was contagious. We saw that with Saul. Uh, his fear... Uh, infected the whole army. But you know what else is contagious? Faith, victory. When other people start to see us having victory and God working in us and through us, they see it. And they get serious about allowing God to use them. And when a church gets that way, when a church really allows God to work through them, then those people out there see it. And they want to hear what we say. So he rallied the men. They saw, look at this, this young guy. God has used this young guy to take down this giant. Hey guys, we can do this. And they charge off together. We have to remember First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I, I don't say that lightly, because I know a lot of you are dealing with serious fear and anxiety. But what we have to acknowledge is that is not from God. We can just acknowledge that. This is not from God, therefore it's not good and I can't allow it to stay. Then we remember the second part, but, but one of power and of love and of sound judgment. Tactic number six, verse 54. Uh, David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem and he put Goliath's weapons in his tent. Well, it's a good thing he didn't take Goliath's head and put that in his tent, but he took Goliath's weapons and put them into his tent. Why? He was creating a memorial. Tactic number six, we have to remember to remember what God has already done in the past. Remember to remember what God has already done in your life in the past. And he set up his weapons, we see later, as a memorial. And all through the Old Testament, whenever God would give him victory, the Israelites would create a memorial. And the idea was when they would go past it, they'd remember, hey, remember? That's what God did in the past. And it would give them courage and faith in the present. And we need to set up memorials 
in our lives, in our minds, to remind us of what God has already done, to encourage us here in the present. And as we get ready to participate in communion, which is a time of remembrance, when we remember, I want you to reflect on the words of this song. It's a song that was written by a man named Stephen Curtis Chapman and performed by him. And he wrote this at the anniversary of when his daughter was killed in a tragic accident. His daughter was run over accidentally by his son. And the words in this uh, song have been a great encouragement to me as he wrote this to remind himself of God's goodness. So reflect on this, and then Don's going to lead us in communion. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.